fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into the program. It is a post-Monday celebration. Greatest day of the entire week, man. We are ready to carpe diem all over this place. We have so much to talk about and so much to do, and <laughs> I'm sad. I got to admit, I'm starting off the program a little devastated today. I thought after our delayed time, there was a tweet out, the Tweety, the X, whatever you want to call it now. There was a tweet out from Matt Gates on Monday, I think it was yesterday, saying that the only reason that we have not had a vote on the Speaker of the House is because that moderate Republicans and that Patrick McHenry, the residing Speaker of the House right now until we actually vote on somebody, has not called for a vote for the Speaker of the House and that the whole delay is on him. And that the whole delay is on the moderate Republican Party. And I was so optimistic, but I always, being the eternal optimist that I am, I was so optimistic that the reason we were holding out was to make sure that we had all the votes in step ready to go to come in, show dominance, show unity as a party for once in our entire existence as a Republican Party, or at least for the last couple of decades, show that we are unified that we are strong and that we can move forward to get prepared for a 2024 presidential election and congressional seats all over the nation and that we were going to actually show up with leadership mentality and ideas to take the party and take the country into a more positive direction. And lo and behold, that did not happen after one round of voting that's happened already in this nation with another one possibly happening this afternoon. And I'm a little sad. I I wish that we could have actually come out a little bit stronger, but nonetheless, we'll talk about that here in just a minute. Welcome into the program. This is The Voice of Reason. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations, plus TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen. We always love you to death. Your millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day. Bottom of this hour, we have Andrew Handel. He is the Director of Education and the Workforce Development Task Force at the American Legislative Exchange Council, also known as ALEC. Try and say that three times fast. We've had him on the program before. ALEC has released their new ranking for educational freedom rankings around the nation based on state, and we'll have him on to talk about that latest report. What states have a freedom of education, meaning parental involvement, parental empowerment, some of the money where it goes, and other factors that they put into this ranking. So we'll have him on to talk about that in just a little bit. We have some issues that are a bit concerning to the media industry across the nation coming out of the FCC and Republicans even in the House while we are in a state of madness, chaos, anarchy, and malarkey right now that we're still sending a letter to the FCC showing our disapproval, showing that very stern letter of we disapprove of what the FCC is doing. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But for those that don't know with our What's Trending story of the day... What's trending today? Obviously, the big story is the focus on the Speaker of the House vote right now. Round number one is all in the books from just a couple of hours ago in the middle of the day. And uh, Jim Jordan, the nominated Republican candidate for Speaker of the House, came up right about 17 votes short. In fact, Jeffries, Hakeem Jeffries, the Democrat candidate, got the unified vote of the Democrat Party. Not surprising, with a 212 vote. Jim Jordan coming in at 200 votes. 
short of the 217 needed for the majority, with 20 Republicans voting for other candidates, including uh, Kevin McCarthy, even though he's not in the race, and uh, Steve Scalise, who has dropped out of the race. So these are like the Donald Duck votes that we got in January when conservatives uh, were doing the holdout against Kevin McCarthy and thinking that we were going to somehow change the minds of the vast majority of the other Republican Party members to go with our Donald Duck candidate because we were so adamant against Kevin McCarthy. It's not helping. Not helping. In fact, this is hurting us a little bit more, and I'm kind of upset about this, and I, I feel like we're starting to act like the children, like the Democrats, because we're so petty in this. It's time for the Republican Party to do something. And as I said, that if we would have come out of this strong and show, eventually we will get Jim Jordan. Now, let me put that out there first. I'm optimistic we will get Jim Jordan. We will win these other individuals over. And if not, then it will be the demise of the Republican Party, not just for the next year, but for the next election and for the next couple elections as well. You are destroying the party. And I want to be very clear on which sect of the Republican Party I'm talking to right now. At first, it was the conservative holdouts, the hardliners, the conservatives that actually were uh, disrupting the system, which everybody was upset about. And if you're still upset about it, then so be it. Guess what? Uh, no use spill, uh, crying over spilled milk. It's done. It's over. We're in this situation now. Kevin McCarthy has dropped out. Kevin McCarthy has, not, has said that he's not going to run for re-election for Speaker of the House, which means it's time to move on. And who's that going to be? Well, right now, the vast majority of the Republican Party wants someone like Jim Jordan. And in fact, there were some really great speeches on the House floor earlier today before that vote supporting said Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan will be we the people speaker for such a time as this. Our friend and colleague Jim Jordan is a patriot. He is an America first warrior who wins the toughest of fights, going after corruption and delivering accountability at the highest levels of government on behalf of we, the people. Jim is the voice of the American people who have felt voiceless for far too long. Whether as judiciary chair, conservative leader, or representative for his constituents in West Central Ohio, whether on the wrestling mat or in the committee room, Jim Jordan is strategic, scrappy, tough, and principled. He is a mentor, a worker, and above all, he is a fighter. And the American people know, we know, that Jim Jordan is a winner on behalf of the American people. All right, that audio from Newsmax TV, that was Elise Stefanik. She's a congresswoman from the state of New York and a great speech. And she went on talking about how great Jim Jordan will be as Speaker of the House. And I concur. I think he's going to do a fantastic job. But let's remember now where we stand as a Republican Party. And I want to be very clear here because we need to put the blame in the delay now on where the blame properly deserves to be laid upon. The issue of the shaking up of the, the Speaker of the House the House in general, and the lack of operations right now. Yes, you can put the blame on to Matt Gates and the other conservatives for shaking it up, trying to remove Kevin McCarthy, which obviously was successful with eight Republicans joining Democrats in a majority to make something like that happen. Moderate Republicans not very happy about it because it did stall the progress. We are a month away from our uh, continuing resolution in our farm bill and other very critical issues that are going on right now, including a focus on Israel, including a focus on withholding the $6 billion from the country of Iran that was being sent over there, that Congress has the ability and power to hold on to and freeze that funding because of the ongoing conflict. We have some major issues. And if you want to blame the conservatives for that, then all the power, go for it. However, again, 
No use crying over spilt milk. It's done and it's over. And Kevin McCarthy does not want it any longer. And I think rightfully so. Steve Scalise has dropped out. And I, for whatever reason, I don't know, rightfully so or not, that's up for individuals' personal opinions. But Jim Jordan is now the popular candidate among Republicans by a wide margin and more so than really any other candidate has received so far. So now the holdouts are the moderates. They're not the conservatives that are causing issues. They are the moderates, as the Democrats and Hakeem Jeffries called them last week, the quote-unquote traditional Republicans that are feeling like they're being held hostage. And by being held hostage, meaning they're not getting the way that they want to. Now, I want to put this into perspective for you. Because I think that we need to bring something to light. We need to bring out the elephant in the room, so to speak. We need to drag out the darkness out of the closet and the skeletons in the closet. We need to address this in order for us as a Republican Party to heal ourselves. We need to understand our flaws in order to fix them. We have to admit we have a problem before we can start to fix the problem, so to speak, if you want to put it in those terms. The Republican Party right now, as you know, and we've said so many other times, it is a massive lack of a spinal cord. In general, the Republican Party has a massive lack of a pair of huevos, so to speak. And prime example is every time that we have a federal budget discussion, every time that we have a continuing resolution discussion, every time that we have a discussion raising the debt ceiling in this nation, what happens? Republicans talk tough. We're not going to spend any more money. We are going to cut the federal budget. We are going to hold these agencies accountable for all their wasteful spending. We are going to do what's necessary to get our financial orders back on track here. We're not going to let it. And even if it comes down to the wire and a potential government shutdown, we're going to hold our own. We hear that from the Republican Party every time, and we get all giddy inside. We get all warm and fuzzy inside. Oh, maybe this is the time we can actually see some change in Washington, D.C. And then what happens? We get down to the final hours of the government shutdown, the evil shutdown that could just kill people in the streets. We're all going to die because of you! And because of that, they cower. They get very little of what they actually fought for and what they wanted, and we end up caving in to give Democrats 95% of what they want. We get about 2% of what we want, and we feel like it was a great success because we can't possibly shut down the government or else people will die in the streets. We hear that argument every time, right? And we're sick and tired of it. This is the Republican Party, the moderate Republican Party, who caves, who cowers, who squabbles, and who works with Democrats every time while getting absolutely very little from the Republican agenda and giving in to Democrats because the media bullies them, the Democrat Party bullies them, the caucus bullies them, the presidency bullies them, and they cower. But these are the ones now, for whatever reason, that are holding on to their own and refusing to vote for a Speaker of the House, Jim Jordan, because they don't want the conservative sect of the party, the radical hardliners, the radical MAGA supporters, the radical right-wing conservatives, they don't want to be held hostage to those few minority conservative votes within the House Republican Caucus. So these 20, 21 different Republican members refuse to vote for Jim Jordan. In fact, they've openly said that they don't want to be held to the choice of the radical hard right-wing conservatives, so therefore they're not going to vote for their candidate, period, end of story. And you're telling me that while we're in the middle of this chaos, we're in the middle of trying to figure out new leadership, we're trying to really do something productive as a Republican Party by standing on what we actually promised the Republican voters that we would do as a Republican Party, that you're willing to sabotage the Republican platform and you're willing to sabotage the strength 
the unity and the power of what Republicans have as a slim majority in the House of Representatives, more so in fight your own party, more so than what you do fighting the Democrats. That's what you're telling us right now. Because that's exactly what it looks like. You cave to Democrats every time. Maybe that's what we have to do. Maybe what Jim Jordan has to do and what the rest of the Republican caucus has to do is tell them that we're going to shut down the government unless we actually vote for the Speaker of the House and vote for Jim Jordan. Then they'll cower and they'll cave and they'll be scared of their own shadow and then they end up scurrying into the shadow and just doing what they're told. But until then, it's very evident right now that it's no longer the conservatives that are fighting against Jim Jordan and fighting against Matt Gates and fighting against Kevin McCarthy. That's, that's done and over. There's no going back. 2020 may be hindsight, and we can look at it in perfect view from looking behind on what we should do to correct ourselves, but we're in the here and now, and it's time for us to move forward. And right now, the portion of the caucus that doesn't like Jim Jordan are voting against Jim Jordan in spite of not liking the conservatives having a dominant say within the Republican Party and quote-unquote holding them hostage. Guess what? You should be used to being held hostage because you're held hostage like the weak, spineless, huevos-missing Republicans that you have been for years as Democrats bully you, walk all over you, push you around, and edge you into actually voting for Democrat policies, increasing government spending, increasing government programs left and right, day in and day out, and you've done it for years. So if you don't like being on a leash, maybe you should look at the leash being held as a tight rein by the Democrats and not by the conservatives trying to push you into doing what the Republican voters actually want you to do. Just think it out loud here. Maybe that's an idea. Maybe you should fight less against us and more against them. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. 24 minutes past the hour. Welcome back into the program. So we have now, I want to be very clear on where, not to pass blame and just to blame and put fault here somewhere, but we have to get things back in order. Yes, we have to start acting as a unified Republican Party. I'm telling you, this is going to obliterate the Republicans in elections next year unless we actually get our act together. And right now we're not showing the unity and we have the bickering. And if you want to blame conservatives for the removal of the Speaker of the House, then do it. Fine. Cool. Guess what? That's done. That's over. There's no use in crying over the spilt milk. I've said that a few times already on this program, but I think it needs reiterated because we do very well in politics of just blaming people and looking in the past instead of looking at the current situation. And the current situation is right now we are a month away from the ending of a continuing resolution. And while I don't care if the government shuts down at all, that's not the reason why I'm concerned. If we allow the continuing resolution to just extend... We're dealing with giving the Democrats and giving the progressives and giving the big government more spending, increasing that spending, raising the debt ceiling, spending more money. I want real things to actually be done. And that's why so many Republicans have been so frustrated for so long. And now that the conservatives have been able to do it, it was a big risk. It was a big gamble. Like it or not, you got to admit they have a big old pair of huevos right now because that was a huge step for them. To and a big risk for them to do what they did because this could go south very quickly and it still potentially could if moderate Republicans end up switching sides of the Democrats. Because again, it seems like right now the moderate sect of the Republican Party is more willing to fight harder against their own party than they are against Democrats. 
Because if that weren't the Andy, that's a lie. That's not true. If that weren't the case, then we would not have a continuing resolution at current spending levels from this year. We would have a stopgap funding bill from spending levels from like three years ago. And we would have been able to cut spending. Or better yet, we would have actually had a federal budget in place that was passed over to the Senate from Republican bills that said, we're done, this is what we're doing, we're cutting spending, and if the government shuts down Senate, then it's your fault. And we would have been in a way better position, but we didn't do that. We cowered, we caved, we ran into the shadows like we always do, and we caved in and gave Democrats whatever they wanted, even as the majority in the House of Representatives. And that's the state of the Republican Party right now, unfortunately, in many aspects. As we just cave and just keep doing the same old, same old. Now, apparently, moderate Republicans, in fear of losing elections in their own blue or purple districts next year, are scared to death of voting for a Jim Jordan Speaker of the House because it might look too conservative. Some of the other ones that are holdouts, including Ken Buck from the uh, state of Colorado, apparently, according to Newsmax, also went on to say that uh, he is not voting for Jim Jordan in round number two, whenever that may be, which, by the way, we have... The uh, let's see the from Washington Post on YouTube right now. We do have their live channel up on YouTube for if they do start voting during the time of this program, which it does not look like it's going to right now. But we'll see what happens. But Ken Buck was on Newsmax earlier today and said that he's not voting for Jim Jordan in round number two until he gets answers on where he stands on two particular issues. And those two particular issues include his view on the 2020 election on whether he believes it was stolen from Donald Trump or not, because they say that Jim Jordan was an advocate for that idea, and his stance on funding Ukraine from the House of Representatives. Now, I would like to counter that from Ken Buck and ask him the question on, does it really matter the stance of the Speaker of the House on those issues? While it may be important to understand where kind of where he leans on those issues, the duty of the Speaker of the House, like it is the duty of so many other leadership positions throughout government, is not to have a particular stance on an issue or not, but is to put a bill up for discussion and to put a bill up for debate on the House floor and to allow it to be debated and to be voted on and decide by the rest of the caucus. Now there is a House majority whip which is the Republican Party trying to whip their voters and whip their uh, legislators into supporting or not supporting a certain bill. But the Speaker of the House, while he may have his stance on certain issues, is there for more of the procedural process to get things onto the floor and to get them voted on. Does it really matter one way or the other? Or are you just trying to be a stickler because you're bitter and angry? The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into the program. So apparently we're not going to be having a second vote for Speaker of the House today. According to TheHill.com, they have ended their session. We'll reconvene again possibly tomorrow, but with the 20 votes, 17 votes short, technically 20 Republicans that voted against Jim Jordan. They are reconvening, meeting behind closed doors, trying to rally them and whip them, so to speak, which is a horrible job from the majority whips. So actually get something done and unite behind Jim Jordan. Uh, it sounds like it's going to happen at some point, but are we going to have to go through 15 rounds again and make all these promises as opposed to Republicans being like, you know, 
maybe us not getting any business done in D.C. looks really bad. We're all concerned and always scared about government shutdowns on what this could possibly do, and now it's all going to kill everybody. Oh, my gosh. And we don't want to look like that party that's sabotaging our operations of duty, so therefore maybe we should unite, show some strength, and actually move forward with a speaker. Yeah, but I want Kevin McCarthy back. It's all said and done. It's over. Let's move forward. Let's actually get back to business as normal with some conservative leadership like I think so many Republicans want across this nation. We'll get back into that a little bit later. But the one vote that happened today, Jordan got 200 votes. Hakeem Jeffries getting that 212 with that unified Democrat voice. And we'll see what happens maybe again tomorrow. All right, let's get into what's trending. Shift gears a little bit, shall we? What's trending today? Oh, by the way, I do have later on on the program, if we get time, I do have some audio from the former gummy bear of California. I mean, the the former governor of California, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who says that we need some new blood within the parties. So (laughs) that's fun. We'll get to that a little bit later, too. But I am happy to have back on the program. It's been a little bit since we've chatted with him as uh, from the uh, director of the Education and Workforce Development Task Force from ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. They have released their education freedom rankings on how education looks across the nation, uh, looking at numerous different factors and what we can do to better our public education system around the country. Happy to have on the program Mr. Andrew Handel back with us. Andrew, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on, Andy. Yeah, it's always good to talk to you. This education freedom ranking is fascinating because I know that education has been really a focal point of conversation for not only election time, but really local communities all over the country after COVID especially. And after we hear Democrat politicians say that Parents shouldn't be involved in public education. Parents shouldn't be dictating the curriculum for their kids. Parents shouldn't be involved in their school with their kids. I think that raised a lot of red flags for parents across the nation. And this has become more of a topic of discussion. And it's about darn time, too, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, the, the momentum that we've been seeing uh, for education freedom and, you know, kind of opening up all of these other educational options for parents across the country, it's, it's been absolutely amazing um you know all 50 states are seeing this movement it's just been incredible talk about before we get into some of the actual rankings around the nation talk about what factors you guys looked at here and how you came to these uh decisions based on your rank here sure yeah well we looked at five factors so um the the first factor that we looked at was financing programs um so that's where your education savings accounts your tax credit scholarships um you know those kinds of programs will be Factored in there, basically anything that helps parents pay for school supplies or private school tuition or anything along those lines. Um, the second thing that we looked at was uh, charter schools, and then we looked at virtual schools, homeschooling, and open enrollment, which is your uh, your public school choice. Essentially, um, you know, getting rid of those those district boundaries and and letting parents pick uh, what public school they they want their child to attend. So we looked at all five of those categories. We assigned every uh, state a score and a letter grade and um, you know, that's how we came up with our rankings. Uh, regarding the open enrollment, how many states are starting to work on that? I know in Kansas, here where I'm from, uh, we're going to start our open enrollment next year, which some people may not even be aware of, but uh, that did pass in our state legislature last year. Open enrollment kicking off for the 2024-25 school year. I think that's kind of exciting. Yeah, yeah. There's there's only a handful of states that, uh, that you know, don't have any form of open enrollment right now. So, you know, it's you know, definitely great to see Kansas adding that in. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that's going to help a lot of families uh, in years to come. Yeah. When it comes to finance programs, do you include in there some of like the, the, the school 
savings accounts or um, different programs that some have to allow kids to go to, maybe the charter schools, private schools, virtual schooling based on wherever they want to take their kids and, and those opportunities that states may give them? We do. Yeah, we do. So, um, you know, we, we do count those education savings accounts, uh, as, as you mentioned, Andy. Um, you know, those are kind of the, the gold standard in education freedom. Um, you know, we've seen a number of states getting those those policies passed um, and, you know, not just getting them passed for, um, you, you know, not just getting them passed, but getting them passed for all students, you know, which is the amazing thing to see. Um, you know, these these types of policies have been around for a couple of years. Um, but historically, they've been limited. You know, they've been limited to students with uh, special needs or students from low-income households. But we're, we're now starting to see this movement towards, you know, opening this up for all students and saying that, you know, listen, if you like your public school, you know, you can stay in your public school. And, and that's the, the parent's choice. But, um, you know, if, if there's a nearby private school or a virtual school that a family thinks their, their student would succeed in at a much higher level, um, you know, let's give them a little bit of help and, uh, you know, try to make that a reality for them. Yeah. I've heard an argument from a lot of progressives that d- that despise open enrollment or despise some of the school savings account or despise the competition in the market, just saying that private schools need to stay private, public schools need to stay public, and we need to segregate those two and keep them separate. Why is that? Why do you think that they don't like the competition in the market? Do you think it's because it exposes the failed policies that they've been advocating for? Do they want the discrepancy to try and play the victim card? Like, if you're truly about trying to help as many kids as possible get the best education, why wouldn't you allow or wouldn't want to allow kids to go to whatever school may best benefit them? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question, Andy. And, you know, I'll tell you, you know, this, this is all about parents, right? This is all about parents. This is about empowering parents, um, you know, to, to make the best decisions for their kids. You know, it's about recognizing that, they are the ones in the best position to to make that decision. Um, you know, we, we shouldn't be, you know, assigning kids to a school based on nothing more than a zip code. I mean, that's a, you know, kind of a, a, a silly concept that, you know, might have worked a, a couple of decades ago. But, you know, these days with all of these new educational options, you know, things like micro schools that just got, uh, you know, uh, became very popular, uh, you know, during the pandemic. Um, you know, with all this innovation in the space that we've seen, it, it's, it's time that we open this up and, and let families, uh, you know, make the best decisions for their kids. What a wild concept. Letting parents make that decision on what's best for their children. I don't know why that's so controversial, but uh, for some reason it is in today's times. Let's talk about some of the top five and top uh, bottom five states in the nation. For your top five list, which people can go into, by the way, at allocate.org and be able to look at this. But the top five states for educational freedom include Florida at number one. Arkansas, number two, Indiana, Arizona, and Iowa coming up at number five. Talk about what those states have, especially Florida coming in at that number one slot. What put them at that top of the list and why they're so popular? Yeah, so there's a common theme amongst all those top five states, and that's that they have universal education freedom. Um, So, you know, that means every single child gets to take advantage of, you know, an ESA program uh, or education savings account program or a voucher or a tax credit scholarship Whatever it might, whatever it might be, um, but you know those states are also strong. You know we found they're strong across the board in all five of the categories that we looked at. Um, there, there's really no weaknesses. Um, you know each of those states has really, you know, you know Florida, for example, I think for a long time has been viewed as the gold standard in education freedom. You know going back to uh, you know the days when Jeb Bush was governor there, but there there were also some new states there. Uh, you know Arkansas at number two and Iowa at number five. Um, those are two states, you know, uh, Governor Sanders in Arkansas and Governor Reynolds in Iowa. They were really tremendous advocates for universal education freedom 
uh, this year in their state, and uh, the legislatures responded there. They both got uh, policies passed, and as a result of that, we now see both of those states in the top five in our rankings. That's great news. Uh, when it comes to parent involvement, how important is that not only for your guys' ranking here, but just in general for the parents to be involved in not only choosing the schools, but to help their kids after school when they come home, that conversation around the dinner table, does that have an impact on how these rankings are done and how successful that a school district could be? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a great question, Andy. You know, I, parental involvement is, is crucial. Um, you know, it's, it's so important not just for these rankings, but you know, to the success of every single child out there. And, um, you know, we really wanted this, these, these rankings to be forward-looking. Uh, you know, we really wanted to look at, um, you know, seeing how accessible are all these different educational options for families in, in all of these states. And, you know, not just ranking them, but, you know, we also want this to serve as a resource for those families to see, you know, um, how does my state uh, look from a charter school perspective or how difficult is it to homeschool in my state with the regulations that are in place? So, you know, we really wanted it to be a, you know, a resource not just for state lawmakers who are trying to expand access to these different options, but, you know, also for families who you might say, you know, I, you know, just I'm not sure that our local public school is, is the best fit for my student. And, you know, I, I'd like to know about what else is out there. So, you know, we, we really wanted it to be a resource for them as well. Yeah, when you look at some of these and you compare some of these states based on these curriculum that you laid out on how you're doing these rankings, do we also see a comparison that's relatively equal as well and relatively uh, similar to what we're seeing here in parallel when it comes to graduation rates or test scores or or how well the students are actually doing in the classroom? I mean, are we seeing that pretty much line up with how the freedom is within that state school system? Yeah, yeah, you know, we, we are, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, some of those top uh, states in, in, uh, in our rankings, you know, they, they perform very well on, uh, on the nation's report card, um, you know, but, you know, we, we actually made a deliberate decision, uh, you know, with this new publication to not look at test scores and graduation rates, um, because we often see a, a lot of, um, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, changes in those that happen over time, and, and it's not always uh, easy to pin down exactly what um, what's causing those changes, you know. So, um, you know, we, uh, you know, each state might define proficiency in, in its own way, and they, you know, go about it in, in their in their own ways, which is great, um, you know. But we really wanted to be forward looking, um, you know, and look at the policies that are going to produce the highest graduation rates down the line, the highest test scores. Um, so that, that was really our goal with the publication. Yeah, I love it. Let's, uh, let's take a break here real quick. We're talking with Andrew Handel. He is the director for the Education and Workforce Development Task Force at ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. When we come back, I want to talk about the bottom of the list on what they're doing and what we could be doing to make things better and talk about some of those other options as parents are looking to take education back into their own hands and so much more. It's the Voice of Reason. Stay here. Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into the program. Last few minutes of the show. Truth, reason, common sense, rationale. That's just what we do here on this program. Trying to have the deeper conversation unveiling the layers of the onion. More so than any other show on radio, which is what we love to do here on the program. Talk a little bit deeper. Talk a little bit more fun. Talk a little bit more, I don't know, commonsensical. 
which is apparently a minority in society today. So welcome to it. Always great to have you with us here. Andrew Handel, he is the Director of Education and the Workforce Development Task Force at ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. Always a big fan of their organization, working with state legislatures around the nation on policy. We are gearing up for our 2024 legislative session in January across the nation uh, with many different state governments. So what is on that priority list? We'll be talking with legislators really coming up in the next few months in preparation, trying to gear up for that because not only is it a big election year, it's also a big legislative year. And we need to know what the heck they're going to be focusing on going into the next year as well. Right now, though, we are talking about the educational freedom rankings that were released by ALEC. You can find the list on the website, ALEC.org, and you can see all the information with the reports here. As we look at the bottom five on this list, and I'm kind of surprised by one, not really surprised by the other ones, just by how progressive they like to have dominance with the control of the teachers' unions, control of the government, control of the regulations that they like to impose onto the school districts. And it really makes sense why they would be at the bottom of the rank for freedom because, well, when government controls more, you get to control less. But the bottom five on the list include at number 46, North Dakota, which we'll talk about it, but kind of a surprise to me, followed by Vermont, New York, Rhode Island, and the worst state for the educational freedom Massachusetts. All of them very progressive, very deep blue states from the East Coast. Kind of a shocker. But, uh, Andrew, talk about why North Dakota is on that list for the bottom five. That's kind of a shock to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, North Dakota is on there. Uh, you know, they, they scored, obviously, you know, very, very low in, in each of the different categories that we looked at. Um, they, they actually, the legislature, uh, just this year, they, they passed a small education savings account program. It would have been for students with special needs. Uh, but Governor Burgum actually vetoed it, so um, they they still remain at a zero in that category. Uh, you know, had that had that uh you know bill been signed into law, that obviously would have boosted them in the ranking here. But um, you know, they uh, they they scored a zero on charter schools. They they have a lot of uh, homeschooling regulations. Um, so you know, at each of the different categories that we looked at, it was definitely a surprise. North Dakota has quite a bit of work to do. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, the bottom one is Massachusetts at number 50. What were some of the biggest flaws that you saw that really popped out to you guys when you did this? Yeah, you know, the the, the biggest flaws, um, you know, easily the, the biggest issue was, you know, these are all states that don't have any kind of um, you know, uh, funding programs for parents that uh, want to leave their public school. Um, but, you know, bigger than that, uh, they, they just, they don't have other options for parents. You know, the, these are the states where you are most likely to be tethered to whatever public school you're assigned to based on the zip code. Um, you know, there's probably not going to be other charter schools for you. They make it very difficult for you to homeschool if that's something that you want to do. Uh, there's not going to be any virtual school options, and they're not going to let you pick a different public school uh, through an open enrollment policy. So, um, you know, th- these are the states where, where parents have uh, the least access to other educational options. And, uh, you know, I think that's that's reflected in the, in the F grade that we gave them on, on our rankings here. We've got a lot of work to do. Uh, coming up, as we mentioned, in a couple of months, we have our new legislative sessions for different states all over the nation. And I'm sure this is going to be a focal point for many of them. But what states have you heard from and what do you think that conversation may look like next year? In regards to educational freedom or some type of voucher program or some type of savings account or some type of open enrollment, what do you think is on the docket for next year? And could we see some of these uh, these grades bump up a little bit in some of the states? Yeah, yeah, we absolutely could. Um, you know, uh, Oklahoma actually came in seventh in our rankings this year. They passed a universal uh, refundable tax credit, which is uh, you know really great news for families. Um, you know, that can be used for 
you know, school supplies and private school tuition and a whole host of different things. Uh, Nebraska just got uh, the Opportunity Scholarship Program done, uh, thanks to the leadership of Senator Luann Linehan there. Um, and, you know, Kansas. Kansas came very, very, very close to getting a universal uh, education savings account program done. Uh, they couldn't quite get it into the budget, um, but, you know, hopefully uh, we'll see lawmakers come back to it next year and, and try to tack that on. But that would obviously boost, uh, boost them significantly up into the rankings. Got a lot of work to do and a lot of things on the docket. Hopefully we can see some of those happen. I am so optimistic. Here, living here in Kansas and seeing what they're doing, I am optimistic maybe we can ram that one through this year if we can get some of our other Republican members in our state legislature on board. But that's another conversation for another time. It is Andrew Handel, the Director for the Education and Workforce Development Task Force at ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. Andrew, always a pleasure to have you on the show, my friend. Keep up this great work. we got to get you back on again real soon. Will do. Thanks for having me on, Andy. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. There it is. Podcast up in just a little bit. So much more to talk about. We'll do it again tomorrow for a middle of the week. Until then, be your own voice of reason. This is the voice of reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.